Welcome to Iconic, where we talk about all things 13th Age. I'm your host, JM, and with me as always are Nick and Mark. Hey. Hello. We've got a great show for you this week, and returning, we have a returning co-host, uh, Becca. Welcome back. Thank you. So, today we are talking about a topic that has actually started with a discussion between Becca and I that kind of grew to expand to all of the Iconic hosts, and there's some things that have been coming up on Discord and Facebook. We all thought this would be a good topic to discuss. And so today we're looking at character death and how to get more character. Wait, nope. <laughs> Sorry. We're just going to be talking about character death. How, how to get more character death is up to you. But we're also going to be revisiting campaign loss as part of this because it's intimately tied in with the rules in 13th Age. So feel free to go back and listen to season one, episode 11, where we talked about campaign loss kind of the first time around. So... Let's kind of just start with like an opening question. How do you guys feel about character death in a campaign? I think for a game to be enjoyable to play for both players and a GM, there has to be a, an element of tension in the game that actions have consequences, and especially when you get into combat, that those consequences could lead to your death. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you may as well just sit around a circle holding a story stick and pass it around and say, this is what happens, this is what happens, this is what happens, and you're writing a collective novel at that point, yeah. and you're not really, have, not, not really playing a game that has real mechanics to it. There was a, a game that we played, and the, the game and GM will remain nameless. A friend of mine was telling me about it, and he was convinced that this GM was not going to kill their characters, no matter what they did. And he ended up, like, the players kept pushing it more and more, and the GM, fi they finally broke the GM, and he stopped running the game when this friend of mine rode into battle on an arrow, buck naked, into the attacking army. Because he knew the GM wouldn't wouldn't kill him. Hmm. So yeah, there was no tension in that game whatsoever. <laughs> what about you, Mark? You've GM'd more than you've well, I don't know. Have you GM'd more than you played? This is a whole um, other episode we could talk about. <laughs> Mark's gaming history. Mark gaming history. I don't know. If I guess if I counted it, it's probably 50-50 by now. It seems like I've been running games a lot. Sometimes it's a circumstance because you're the only one that knows anything about the games or has books or is willing to put forth effort. But now I'm playing more, which I like. I know at times when I first started gaming, character death, I was like, oh, man, because you put so much effort into the character. And especially first edition, you know, D&D &D just took so long to do stuff, it seemed. And getting the roles just right to play the paladin or whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that kind of kind of stunk. And I think it really just depends on is it like the luck of the dice or he shall not remain nameless. Uh, Steve from years ago against the Frost Giants. Oh, man. And we went in and, and smoked it because we had good tactics and good rolls. And I mean, I lost a weapon because of the... Uh, Remoraz. Remoraz, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, thanks. I forget who wrote in about that. I had it wrong. Wasn't over here. It's Remoraz. But then we, we got done. We're trekking across the ice. And he was like, white dragon swoops in, breathes, you all die. I'm like, don't, don't we get a saving throw? Nope, you all die. Okay. And so we didn't game with him anymore. Yeah, no, that's, so yeah. At, at points like that, you're like, all right, we're not just going to game with you anymore. Yeah. Whatever, you were just ticked because we... One, which if really is, there is no win or lose. It's right. You win if you have fun. Right. So as long as you have fun, you're fine. I mean, I'm I'm a lot better with it now, if, even though you know Cyclops with a hammer, ninety that's right. points for a swing. That's but that's great. okay because it allowed me to play the Berserker I have now. That's right. So now, Becca, a lot of fun. What about you? You do you play more? Do you run more? Kind of. What are your views on death from both sides of the screen? Um. Well, I think I at this stage I'm playing more. And as a player, I've I've been okay with the several times that my characters have died, and I almost feel like that I'm okay with it because I've seen the GM side of it and I go, "Okay, I understand what the GM is trying to do. So I died because of dice rolls or because of whatever or because I heroically sacrificed myself so everybody else could run away." Um yeah, I'm wondering if I'm okay with my character death because I've seen behind the curtain. Ooh, that's an interesting point. Because as, as a GM, you have a different perspective going in even to playing a character. Mm -hmm. I think you guys know my um, <laughs> thoughts on character death. I don't have a problem with it. I don't pull punches. I um, Consequences are a major factor in the games that I run, whether it's you piss someone off and they're definitely coming back to get you, or you touch something that you shouldn't, or 
the dice rolls fall where they may. That's kind of where where I come from. And one of our friends who plays with us, Brad, he has only really ever played at my table. And his thoughts on any game that he plays in now is that if if there's not the risk of death, it's not an adventure. It's just an outing. Like an adventure requires some sacrifice. All of that to kind of give a basis for where we're going to with this discussion on character death. There are many views on character death, and I think part of it is a rule set choice. Um, Mark and I can attest to how deadly first and second edition D&D was uh, because life was cheap. You really just had to roll six sets of 3D6 straight down the line and a hit die, and you were back in the game. Like, like the story wasn't this grand narrative. The story evolved from the characters who survived. Um, same way in second edition D&D. It was very easy to get a fighter with three hit points. That guy's not lasting very long. Um, or in 3rd edition D&D when I remember the first time I ran 3rd edition D&D and we discovered that the wizard's familiar could do enough damage on average to kill the wizard. And so the first guy they went against was a goblin shaman who charmed animal and the wizard's cat killed him. <laughs> so yeah, there. so part of it's the rule set, right? 13th Age is a more heroic rule set. First edition D&D, less so. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the other games that we play, RuneQuest. Mm-hmm. RuneQuest limbs are like sanity in Call of Cthulhu. They just get lopped off. But part of it is also a GM decision. How lethal is your game going to be, at least in your mind? Low lethality, you're never going to let anybody die. Rules is written, kind of whatever game we're playing. Or is it a high lethality death? Is it really the characters versus the world? More of a, a grim dark, if you will, view of, of, of gaming. And I think one of the key parts of under you know working through character death is as the gm talk with your players about what kind of lethality game yeah and, and i think for players there's always there's a, a spectrum of understanding of character death where on one end of the spectrum it's just numbers on a sheet and like in yeah. what you were saying you, you roll your your new stats and you just move on with it the other end of that spectrum is this is an idea that i have spent hours mm -hmm. crafting and refining and defining and relating with and I don't want to lose that idea mm -hmm. and lose all of that time and all of that effort that I put into that. And I think that players need to find a middle ground in there yeah. or at least communicate what those expectations are to the rest of the table. Because yeah. if you have, if, if your players that are on the, the end of the spectrum where these are ideas that they care very deeply about, you probably don't want to be running a high lethality game. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, you know, knowing who's going to be at the table will have an impact on what game you play Mm -hmm. which, as written, will affect on um, expectations for how tight or how loose you should hold on to your character. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I agree with that a lot. Yeah, and I could definitely see, you know, the high lethality, but there has to be some challenge. Mm -hmm. if, if there isn't, then it's not memorable. They might come and play because that's what they do on Saturdays for a couple hours. But again, 35 years later, I remember Steve. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Certain certain things or the tough fights where you overcame something by luck or, you know, the skin of your teeth or your cleric almost dies with two hit points. Mm -hmm. You remember that fight yeah. versus right. it was a cake. Well, sometimes they are just because the dice flow that way, even if it's well crafted. So I try to balance to make it tough. It needs to be a challenge, but I don't want it every weekend. Also, you know, the converse, you don't want every weekend when you play that you have eight new characters because it's a TPK every week. Then right. people kind of get, right. eh, kind of yeah. gets boring. Yeah. At that point, it almost feels unwinnable. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and then, people, then you find people just won't game with you, like Steve, because yeah. it's like, dude, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. I had something similar. We did a pretty easy fight that was supposed to be tough because the dice were with us. Uh, we were playing 3-5, I think, and w without even getting a, a chance to rest, this group of frost giants just comes over the hill and, it was very clear that the GM was just frustrated that we defeated his ambush. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, all right, well, cool. I didn't go back mm -hmm. to that table. Like, mm -hmm. And I, I think there's a difference between death by consequence, even if that consequence is, and we're going to get into what causes death, but even if that consequence is, man, sorry, Mark, the dice rolls were just against you tonight. Oh, yeah. Or I, I had no problem. It was it didn't played fine just because of yeah. other stuff we had and the demon and blood. And yeah. it, was, it was fun. It was like, yeah. Right. But we've also. I couldn't had, believe it. I was like, what? <laughs> 90 points? Right. Quick math. Yeah, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> You're down? No, I'm dead. Dead, dead. Like, like a schmear. 
meteor on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, you saw a quote on Facebook about this this last couple of weeks. Do you want to share that? Yeah. Uh, someone had posed a question uh, regarding to how what he had done wrong in his prepping for his battle because he had thrown his players up against a group of trolls and... Um, ended up killing one of the, the characters and another character's uh, companion. And so he, he just, you know, he, the quote that stood out to me was, I realize it's my job as a GM to adjust and tweak the encounters. And I thought I did enough. Did I miss something? Could I have set it up better? And what I heard um, underlying that was I should have made it difficult, but not deadly. Mm-hmm. And that I thought that was a, a good question to kind of lead us into this discussion here, because I think that as a GM, you aren't trying to snipe all of the players. You want it to be challenging. You want it to be brutal sometimes. Um, you want to give them a sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. when they walk away from a combat encounter. But at the same time, you don't want it to be a cakewalk for the players either. Right. And so how do you find that middle ground of giving it something that could be deadly, but maybe just a touch back? Right. Mm. Well, and I think, and we'll get into this Maybe this is a whole other episode, but I do think there's a difference between, for me at least, part of it comes down to what's my goal? Is my goal as a GM to tell the story or to immerse characters in the world? I don't necessarily buy the concentric levels of increasing difficulty as players move away from their starting point. There are things in the world that roam the dark spaces between towns that your characters can't deal with. And you'll get plenty of rumors. It's not like I'm just going to throw in a 10th level dragon at first level. But you're going to make a series of choices that if it delivers you to that dragon's lair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I did that. It was a different game system. Um, I, I told you about it with the the cave dragon in the dark ice when, I'm, when mm-hmm. I ran it for the guys. We took a break for now. And the rumors were the orcs allied with this cave dragon and they're going to take out this town. And they're like, it's a cave dragon. You know, like we're, we just, there aren't really the levels in that game, but they're like, there's no way the three of us can take on a cave dragon. And they didn't, my intention wasn't storm the cave, kill the dragon. And they worked it out and they went up and by doing some research and trying to find more about the dragon, it, they went and talked to it, gave it some magic and said, hey, we'll pay you off if you don't ally with the orcs. And he's like, okay. Now, there's consequences because what they gave him was a cursed item that <laughs> deals with the nameless one, which they'll hear about when we game again. But they didn't have to fight it. If they went in, they would have died. I mean, I, I was like, okay, if you go in there and start swinging and lobbing spells, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. The idea was to try to talk to it or just ignore it. It's like, well, we don't care. We're out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also an interesting thing. You don't always – not every encounter has to end with either players or monsters fighting to the death. 13th Age has a lot of flexibility in using icon relationships and backgrounds to turn a combat encounter to something else before. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to say, I had a very similar situation with dragons and players. To yours, Mark, I don't know, the characters were maybe fourth level in D&D, and a blue dragon showed up, and about half of the group ran, and the other half were like, well, we're screwed anyway, so we're just going to stay here. And the dragon lands and is like, so why don't I eat you? And one of the players essentially spills her backstory and is like, well, you can't eat me because my grandmother was this very famous person. And the dragon's like, oh, yeah, no, I knew her. She's pretty cool. All right, we're tight. Let's, like, keep going. And everybody was like, what? How did that happen? And I was like, well, she played her story. Yeah. I thought there was, like, three situations here. The dragon was either going to eat everybody, laugh and eat everybody, or get mad and eat everybody. Like, <laughs> Right. And And the players played it. And avoided character death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're still dealing with that freaking blue dragon. Yeah. Now the dra- now the blue dragon is like half in love and following them around, and they all don't know what to do with it, but it's fine. So wait, did you run or did you stay and fight? I wasn't part of the group at that. Point. Oh, okay. I'm just dealing with the fallout of that. <laughs> oh, okay. So as we kind of set up this outline, we kind of came to there are really two reasons for character death: mm-hmm. consequences or choices. In regards to consequences, you're thinking about as players making their characters make choices. Mm-hmm. Some of those choices are not the most brilliant. Um, in my Numenera game the other night, I had a character who had cast a, a wormhole portal about 10 feet off of the edge of a 500-foot cliff. And everyone was trying to jump through that little small hole to get enough momentum to get to where they needed to go. And they one of the guys failed his athletics check. And like, well, you got a 500 foot fall ahead of you. And, and 
that was a bad choice. You know, there was other ways that they could have uh, gone about doing that. Thankfully, he had a hover belt, and so he was able to get to safety. Um, but that, you know, that's an example where you're gonna, if you're gonna go jump into a, a volcano, you're gonna burn up. You know, mm-hmm. And there are yeah. certain things that you go and you choose to do as a character that are just foolish choices. You go po- yeah. poke the eye of a, of a sleeping bear, it's going to wake up and bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the, the consequences of rolling the dice. You right. know, And what I tell my players is dice tell a story. And you may have a great idea for what's going on in the story, but that, there's a reason why we roll dice. Yeah. And because there's always a chance that what you want isn't going to play, pay off the way that you want it to. And so sometimes, you know, you just have really bad roles as a player and really great roles as a GM and character's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's a difference between punishing a character's choice, which I don't think is okay, mm-hmm. and letting the consequence hammer as we've come to call it, fall. I mean, the 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 dice tell a story is a is a mantra at our table, mm-hmm. like every table that I run. And I think you've got a really good point because that's why we are playing a role playing game. There is a chance that when you need to make that critical skill roll or critical die roll, we leave it to fate. We leave it to what is going to happen. Some of the most interesting events that come out of role playing, I think, comes from failed dice rolls Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah what about you guys like so have you guys seen this at your tables have experienced this like yeah i mean i make notes and and you're i would say you talk about the consequence hammer but it's not unknown at the table right and sometimes when people say something almost to the absurd you're like are are you sure you do that like oh yeah i'm I'm gonna blank and like okay and you take a note in your notebook Three sessions later, yeah. the hammer hits them, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah. I saw that coming." Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. Punishing is no. Not I don't good. think it's ever okay mm-hmm. to like no. just maliciously be like, "Well, that was dumb. Your character is is dead." Yeah, no. Right, but you do have the characters that go into a town, go up to the man in charge, cast suggestion, and encourage him to do something that he doesn't want to do and when he comes out of it he knows that you cast suggestion on him so now you're in jail and on the way to the chopping block and right. mm-hmm. that was your decision i'm i'm not trying to punish you for that but it's it's what happened um, right. or the you heard that there's a magical item in a red dragon's lair on a volcanic island why are you going to go there now to get the magic item that's right that's because, because we're gods <laughs> You had me a magic item. <laughs> I know, right? I, like, didn't, I didn't hear anything else that you said. <laughs> and and that's that's the funny thing, because that's how all my players are. And then I tell them, this is what is there. And they tell me, well, you're the GM. You can change it. And I said, yes, I can. But this is what's there. Right. Well, and I think that there's, there's a trust that's extended from the player to the GM. Mm-hmm. Because in the character would know what is the scale of, or what what is the scope of what I could handle. The player doesn't always know that. And so they trust the GM to make sure that things are scaled appropriately. And I think that if the players are going to be going into a situation that, like in character, they would know this is a really, really bad Mm -hmm. idea. I think it's important that the GM relays that information to the character or the players in some way. In some way, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that on, on one hand, yeah, I agree with that. On the other hand, we get ourselves in over our head many times in our lives. And also there are times where you're like, I could not have foreshadowed this more clearly. And that all the players heard was magic guy. Right. Like we've right. all been there. We have all been oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now that kind of, that I think that covers consequences really well. Like sometimes it's bad dice rolls. Sometimes it's bad narrative decisions. Sometimes it's remember having this one game where I was, I, I was in the middle of watching all the Hellraiser movies. So of course the puzzle box appears in my games and this guy's like, Oh, I start playing with it. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, give me the roll. And he solves it. I'm like, cool. This portal opens. It smells like sulfur and brimstone. You can hear screaming. He's like, I think I go through there. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to do. I'm like, cool. I need you to take out a piece of paper. He's like, okay. I'm like, all right, write down strength, dex, <laughs> constitution. <laughs> And he's like, why? I'm like, your character's dead. And he's like, but why? I'm like, where did the portal lead? I don't know. Nah. Where did the portal lead? He's like, hell. I'm like, exactly. Make a new character. Um, um, On the good side, you're not dead. Yeah. But you're in hell. That's right. So you're unplayable. Roll a new character. That's right. Until the group rescues you. I seem to remember that uh, a book under a sealed case that someone had to 
take out of the case that set a whole series of events. Yeah, they didn't die from that, but a lot of other people did. Christopher, if you're listening, <laughs> that book lives in infamy. Um, but we also have choice as a possible way a character will die. Do you want to kind of cover? Sure. Uh, and, and it's almost tied into consequence because you know the consequence mm-hmm. of our, our Dark Eye game. My blessed one of Rondra, which mm-hmm. is a paladin, stayed Huzzah. to fight the dragon mm-hmm. and said, flee you fools, yeah. and knew he was going to die because it was him and the dragon, and dragons are very tough uh, in the game. I was there too. You were there too. <laughs> I think you died first. I That's did, I did when, die first. When you went down, it was unwinnable. I was like, all right, the rest of you guys, run. Yeah, I think he's I standing couldn't, but on, that was, your, on your body yeah. to get... Yeah, advantage. but that was Sounds also about right. part of my character. He yeah. wouldn't run from the fight, right? And it was okay. And and your son mm-hmm. Christopher, who we were just mocking for the whole has done that more than once. He did that in Burning Wheel game. He did that in the Burning Wheel game. He did that in multiple D and D games. And Christopher, if you're still listening, just remember, none of those groups were willing to pay for a resurrection. None of them. They just <laughs> let your dead character absorb all of those explosions yeah. and then run away. Well, we can talk about that later too. about yeah. resurrections, and yeah, permanency and all that, but. But yeah, I, so it, it's it's a choice sometimes yeah. to, and, and sometimes there's just characters that after three or four sessions, you go, you know what, I, I really don't like this bard. Can, <laughs> can I play a saucer? I'm like, yeah. okay, do you want to just have them leave? We're like, no, oh, you know, and they kill their character purposely. I mean, they don't commit suicide, but they will push the envelope and it's okay to die because I want to have a new character next next week anyway. Right. So, Well, and we also, okay. in, our, in our Numenera game, which is another game that people were asking about lethality and like everyone in the absolutist war was like, I don't, I don't think that lethality is a problem in the cipher system. James killed a bunch of characters, <laughs> but, uh, Kames came to mind. You and I were talking about this earlier and through the story that had happened, Ben's character Kames, like Ben had came to the conclusion that Kames would sacrifice herself to save this world from dying because of all of what she had seen throughout the arc of her story. And some of the group was not okay with that at first. And it was like, no, this isn't a loss. And that's the, that's one of the things we'll talk about later. But having a character die is not game over. You're done. You have lost in some reason, you know, in some way. But yeah, he chose, he chose the terms on which his character was willing to go out. And much like Calvin's another one of our um, players who's willing to sacrifice. Calvin will come because he knows how much I like having players come to me. He's like, listen, I'm willing to kill my character to get this result. What can I do? Oh, well, if you're willing, if you're, if you're willing to lay down your character's life, the door opens, tell me what you want. We will negotiate through this. And Calvin has lost a number of characters specifically to see the story move past what he saw as a insurmountable victory. And his character deaths live on in like memory in Tanar, like, Richard has written a poem about one of them. Like we have epic verse, like immortalizing this stuff. And I remember when Christopher did that in the, in the burning wheel and a lot of us were like, no, no, what? No, we, there's another way we can figure this out. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll, I will sacrifice myself. I think we became the new guardian. Well, yeah, that was, so when I wrote down the bridge yeah. in the notes there, that we were building towards this place that could only be entered by a group of people once. And they knew that it involved some sort of sacrifice, but nobody really knew what it was. And when they got there, basically, if they wanted access to this island for the one time in their life that they could do this, which was kind of the midpoint of the game, one of them had to fight the champion. And if he won, they became the new champion and they don't get to come back. And so Christopher was like, cool, I do it. Like he didn't even blink. Like he just. And so sometimes death is a narrative choice, either by the GM Thank you so much, Gareth, for <laughs> that one in Eyes of the Stone Thief. Or built in as a consequence of, hey, if you if your group really wants X, here's what it's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had one of our uh, patrons write in, just uh, contributing to the show a little bit, that um, the sacrifice of one of the players was required to um, make the Lich King mortal again so that they could then go back and slay him. And it sounded that he had uh, given them enough of a heads up that the players could probably negotiate and figure out who would make the most sense to be the one to make this sort of self-sacrifice. And I, I think in those types of narrative elements, telegraphing your moves goes a long way um, in mm-hmm. making sure you have that that player buy-in. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. 
Now, would you be willing, you know, knowing that, like, all right, all right, I'll sacrifice myself. And the gods of fate go, no, Becca, we pick you. Ah. And the party goes, <gasps> I don't know if I've ever done that. Oh, that's I, I think it might be okay as long as they know that somebody has to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somebody would step forward, okay. But then, you know, the gods of fate or whatever is in your universe goes, mm-hmm. no, we select you. Well, and, and, and I, I, as I like to point out to the groups, you know, death isn't the worst thing that can happen to your character. Right. Like, no, no, no. Right. And I, we, we say death as in, okay, you can't play the character anymore. But like the guy that stepped through, his character wasn't dead. Yeah. You could have brought him back as an NPC being this crazed half oh, demon, yeah. half devil, whatever. Yeah. All right. So 13th Age, though, is a highly heroic game. Mm. Highly. Basically. There should be no death. They're all heroes. No, see, no, I, no. Yeah. no, no. I think Beck and I have been talking about this. <laughs> we have. My response to, oh, you guys are way, way tougher. I can throw way more stuff against you. I know, right? Like, no, we're not. We're not that tough. Oh, look at me. I'm so weak. That's right. Ouch, my hand. <laughs> but at the same time, this goes back to when you choose a game, you're setting expectations. Mm-hmm. And there's enough mechanical bits in 13th Age which oh, yeah. make this, I would, I would almost factor this as a low lethality type mm-hmm. game. Yes. If what's interesting is when you get into the mechanics of 13th Age, I don't want to say they're telling two stories, but they're kind of telling two narratives mechanically. They're saying it's very tough. Rules is written for your character to die. But when it happens, there's a lot of consequences to step in and stop that. But as we kind of talked about in our encounter building in season one, math is really skewed towards the PCs. Rules is written. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. the whole falling forward and and you should succeed when you try and do stuff. Well, even like the the monster math, Mm -hmm. not just the escalation die, but there's a reason that you can throw nastier specials, double strength or triple strength encounters at PCs with a reasonable assumption that they're going to come out of that successful. Even the fighting and spirit mechanic where when your character goes down, you're still giving bonuses to people while they're up and doing things. But what's your experience been with the 13th age rules towards like characters in combat? Like how, how is your experience at the table in 13th age? What are your perceptions on that Becca? Um, it has been interesting. I think I have mentioned before having a monk character and she's the tank of the group is really interesting because you don't think of the monks as the tanks. Well, now, Mark, now you are the tank. I had to die to get here. (laughs) You only have six more hit points than I do, though. I know that is and a lower AC and a lower AC. So really, I don't care about AC. I like to get hit. And, it triggers my other powers. And as long as my cleric stays alive, I know I have a pretty good chance of staying alive through an encounter. And yeah, I would agree that the math is very much skewed in favor of the PCs. My monk can hit really hard. She can dodge a lot of things. And so I think I'd go into several encounters thinking to myself, well, I'm going to make it out all right. The cleric's going to make it out all right, because I need the cleric to make it out all right. Almost didn't happen in this game. Uh, Almost. It's because I left, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm going to attribute it to that. Okay. It's your fault. Okay, well, thanks for playing. I was gone. You, you left, so. Uh, and I, I totally, who's going to be in the front line? Pip. I totally adjusted <laughs> the encounter strength for that. I think in 13th Age, the two ways that characters are most likely to die are either from a crit, mm-hmm. especially when the character is staggered already, yeah. um, or uh, massive amounts of ongoing damage. Yeah. Because otherwise, they fall un- unconscious, and unless the monster coup de gras them, then they have four chances at climb, you know, rising back to their feet, and even more so if one of the other players is willing to pour a, a healing potion down their throat. Right. And other than that, they lay there unconscious, and they're effectively immune from yeah. anything else. And the other thing that right. they really put in the rules to help it is, you know what? If, if Maris went down and the monk's down, you're like, you know what? We're going to take campaign loss and flee. We yeah. grab our, our down comrades and we flee. So people don't have to die. You'll take right. a loss, but which up to the players. If you're down, you can't say, hey, grab my player. Let's take a loss. But it's possible. Yeah. So it's, it's in the rules. So then I actually have a question about that because if the rules are you can grab your fallen comrades – is that just your unconscious comrades? Is that your dead comrades? Well, like, I think I think it allows you to bring all of the bodies back. Okay, so then you have a bunch of bodies. But yeah, I don't think it brings and, anybody and, back from the dead. Well, my my demonologist outright died, but that rarely happens. Yeah, you know, usually it's down. You're unconscious. You failed a couple saves. 
the next person goes unconscious, suddenly you see the balance tip to we're all going to die. So either you stay there and fight and everybody has new characters or you say, you know what, let's take a loss and we grab bodies and sort it out later. Huh. Well, I think the fleeing, at, le- at least how I would run it at my table would be if you're unconscious, then you would survive it. But if okay. you fell to negative half hit points, then you're dead. Yeah. And unless the cleric wants to spend one of the resurrection spells to bring you back because you're at that level, then that's it. Roll a new character. Yeah, the dead ones are dead ones. But yeah, if you want to do that or say you're epic tier and you have gobs of gold and you're like, hey, let's take it and pay somebody to do it type thing. Right. You could if you want to do that. But yeah, unconscious. You're good. It's a loss, and and go and go from there. So yeah, it's definitely skewed to that. You don't have to. It's not like the other versions where yeah, you're dead. You're dead. You know. Yeah, and and the authors make a point. The resurrections are it's a rare thing. It is a very rare. So, thing. I mean, clerics gain that ability at tier or at level seven, but then they can only use it a maximum of like three or four times. Four times. Yeah. Well, three times. And that's four their time kills you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's starting at level seven. So yeah. it, it's yeah. even if you were to take the body somewhere else. You'd, I think you would have to pay a really hefty price in order to, to find someone who's willing to sacrifice that much of themselves to bring your And I, and I think I would ask if I was running it and Mara's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to bring back Pip. And it's like, okay, you need to role play this and justify it of your gods of light, why they would bring that character back or whoever yeah. died. Just because it's so rare. This right. is not second, right. third edition where at a certain level, boom, you know, it costs so much gold, you can resurrect and or reincarnate or do whatever. And I never liked those rules in the other games. Well, that, that's a that's a good point because death is always a discontinuity. Mm-hmm. Whether it's I have to go and we got to go back to town to pay to resurrect Kawanishi because it's going to happen. Um, or whether it's why is this new person in the party? How do we find them? Or, okay, Nick, I'm sorry, you got to make a new character. Like, I realize that that's emotional for you. I mean, there's a discontinuity. Something mm-hmm. something breaks with death. Just like in real life, just like in, you know, in games, things break with death. And that's not always a bad thing. It does show the players something about the world. Are there consequences to actions? Is there, I've had, I've had games radically change with players' deaths. Someone dies and suddenly the group is like, we're done with this arc. That guy who killed this person, we're, we're going after them. And suddenly mm-hmm. the game becomes a lot more personal mm-hmm. for the group. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I talked to some of my players about this because I've kind of been getting some pushback with the idea that they could die in upcoming sessions. And I had a player talk about the fact that she doesn't want her character to die because if her character dies and she comes in with a new character, she doesn't get to build the story from the ground up like she did with her first character. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to come in as, at a level one, figure out what she's good at and build that character. She shows up at a level 10 and goes, all right, I'm good at all of this and I don't know why. And so for her, telling the story is really important. And so she's not really comfortable with the idea of having to skip all of that well can't always just bring her in as first level and I, <laughs> have fun you get to carry the torch i didn't think about that as well like just stay in the middle you'll be fine well i think that that brings up a really interesting topic how you handle death at the at the table and character death says a lot about your game and your world right is it an inconvenience is it temporary is it permanent one of the questions I wanted us to kind of talk is like, how do you guys handle death at your table? Nick, you've played in a number of my games just because of what we were doing with the dark guy. You didn't get to see this, but like you guys know that like in my game, no one dies. It's not really, an, you know, as Brad says, it's not an adventure. It's an outing. I'm not gunning for you in any way, shape or form. You guys don't wear red shirts in my, in my games, but there are consequences. And the two things that I like to do with death, one of them was resurrection eventually becomes too easy. And so... Yeah, it it almost... I know we just talked about this book before we started recording. If you read the Malazan series, that kind of works. You die, you leave, but the God of Death isn't done with you or whatever Mm -hmm. icon or God is following you. You know what? You're marked for something else. And you might traverse Hades for a bit and pop up somewhere else alive. And people are like, you're, you're alive? Your change brushes with death yeah. should never. So it shouldn't just be, hey, let's go back and pay this guy five hundred gold. and He's going to resurrect right. my buddy. It's no, you you die and disappear. But mm-hmm. 
something is not done with you yet. Right. As you come back much later, maybe as an NPC or something, but. Well, in 13th Age, I've allowed, not only have I given get out of jail free cards in the form of like the, the soul binding that one of the players used, or even allowing the necromancer to use, I think, two icon relationships with the Lich King to resurrect Pip as a vampire. I'm willing to negotiate pretty hard with with character death with icon relationships. Yeah, so he didn't really get resurrected so much as he came back as something else. Right, exactly. Well, uh, for both of them. Right, there is a discontinuity there. Um, they're not the same. They're changed, and people give them really weird looks because it's very clear that, oh, you had a brush with death. In my home game of Tanar... I changed the way resurrection rules work because now resurrection opens a portal to the planes of dust and ash that allow one soul to return. So the group now has a new adventure. You go in, you go into the afterlife and you're trying to bring your buddy back and it's a beacon. There are way worse things in, in hell that want out sort of a thing. But I think that two things that do help. Oh, that would be a great arc. Maris dies, we all cross the plane into the land of the dead to rescue her soul and bring her back, and that's how she's getting resurrected. Oh, I totally would do it. Yeah, I think and the, that would be an epic. Just Yeah, you come back, but so you play a different character for a few sessions, but maybe you're the undead guide or a ghost or somebody, you know, the, the cartographer that, <laughs> oh, man, that yes. latches along, that we go and cross the planes yeah. to, to bring her back. That would be a way to do it. Right, and I think I think that... Because it's a break, you have to you have to do something. Whether it's, I mean, Nick has participated in a couple of. I'll take the next session and allow like a funeral to be planned and held, and like let's just role play through what the characters and you know, the, like let's embrace the discontinuity. Or in like your case, Becca, one of the things that I've done before is cool. Your character died. We're going to come up with one session where we play through like three or four different points of your new characters. Mm, yeah. Story so that you have a grasp on where they came from and why they're involved in here. I think there are ways as the GM to handle death that isn't just go sit in the corner with the cap on until you're done making your new character. Right. I will say as it's been very helpful as a, as a player to be able to role play that grieving process. I, I think it's helpful as a player to kind of lean into that and bring a little bit of closure to that, you know, that emotional loss because it is a loss and, you know, we want to make sure that we allow our players that, that space to grieve because mm -hmm. it is the death of an idea. It yeah. is the death of an idea. Mm -hmm. I'm sad now because no one grieved when my guy got squashed. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't even. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that this morning. <laughs> Thinking about the several different deaths that we've had and how our group has kind of just moved on. The only question I got was like, hey, what magic you got on you? Right. <laughs> well, well, that is a once a month game at the store. So. That's true. That's, That's well, true. And I will say part of that, too, is the discontinuity of you coming in. Because we had already been playing for a number of sessions, and then all of a sudden you showed up, and then it was either that session or the next session right after where you died. So there, there wasn't really Three enough sessions. time for an arc to have developed those ties. That's just a mercenary. And at the same time, I think about um, our Numenera game when Richard's character died and the discontinuity of bringing in that new character. And we had already been playing for a couple of years and trying to fit a new person into this well-established mm -hmm. rapport and it just didn't gel. Well, and I think the next thing you know is that character has died and took someone else with it. And again, that was very much consequences of choices. That is, yes. And he was role-playing the character well and that was part of why it was as, is, as he abrasive was as a very was. abrasive character. So you had no real reason to embrace him in any way shape or form. <laughs> but but i remember yeah. even when he first was introduced before we really was able to see what his personality was going to be played as we were all like looking at each other like well why would we accept you into our mm -hmm. midst mm -hmm. and um yeah it's, it's very jarring and i it think mm -hmm. the more unexpected that death is the more jarring it is yeah mm -hmm. what about what about you two what are your thoughts on how do you deal with death at your table for myself uh mainly since i run fifth edition D D games Resurrection Ooh. is <laughs> resurrection. Be lucky is, this is radio. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very lucky. Uh, easier or more convenient. And I have watched Critical Role and seen how Matthew Mercer deals with resur multiple resurrections, right. I should say. 
Because it gets subsequently more difficult. Yeah, as as it goes on, if you have to keep resurrecting the same person, it gets more and more difficult. And I've been thinking about that with our group and knowing that I have several clerics. I have several players and characters that are tied to various deities who could possibly bring back characters. I would require probably a lot of role playing rather than just dice rolling. Yeah. For that, um, in a similar way to what you were saying, of why should the goddess Ayun bring back somebody? She cares about knowledge. Mm-hmm. Go find somebody else who actually cares. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I, I can't. I, I know I've killed characters. I just <laughs> trying to think back. The last time I did, it one of them. Um, well, it might have been. We ran the Pathfinder. You had a Warforged. Is it you or Mike? I think got. Whack. Oh, I got killed. Yeah. Um, and in the dark eye, we, we knew that uh, right up front because there is no resurrection. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, the God of death puts you to sleep. Make sure you don't get raised as an undead. There is no, you're coming back. There doesn't exist. Uh, as the rules read, I mean, people can do what they want, I guess, but uh, yeah, that doesn't exist. There are no heroes that come back. Ghosts are bad. As in most games, I guess, ghosts are not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of it. And, and, you know, they're a little bit, I guess, more careful about, oh, crap. Yeah, but, I mean, that's a and, good and, player expectation. I was thinking, we had a mm-hmm. good quote on on, uh, on Saturday with your once-a-month game. Somehow it came up about, you know, player death was mentioned. He's like, James, like, so it's okay when you kill all my monsters, but I'm bad when I kill one of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good you point. Can think of, you're GM. I've got all these characters, and you have no problem killing them. Yeah, you have no All I really wanted was a loaf of bread, and they would have gone away. But... Yeah. Still thinking of Josiah's pig just <laughs> sliding in there. Uh, uh, so. There's another way that the an optional rule that 13th Age has, which is the meaningful death rule. I run 7C, and they specifically say they steal this from 7C. And uh, Tim says he uses that in his game, which is basically if the monster's not got an actual name, if it's just mook number one, you can't die. Like, what's going to kill you is something truly villainous. It also, we, Mark, you played in my anima game where we played kind of with, with that rule where it was like, listen, you're not going out unless, unless I tell you. Yes, there were certain fights you see at, at the beginning of the session. It's like, all right, this is the end of this arc and this fight, the gloves are off. You can die. Right. And I actually gave you choices sometimes too. It was like, this is a tough fight. You can either walk away now or accept that this rule, you know, the meaningful death rule is is in, in play. But if you fight this thing and win, here's what reward you can clearly see, whether it's a uh, extra XP or a new level or a magic item. But I, I like in that game, I really telegraphed the punches because I mm-hmm. want I, I was running a different style mm-hmm. of game. Yeah. yeah. Well, there for a while, I remember you were running games where uh, you effectively said, um, I'm not going to kill anybody, but there will be points where I am going to revoke that immunity. Mm-hmm. And so we knew going into this particular castle or into this particular combat that death really hasn't been on the table, but now it is. And it just skyrocketed the, the stakes for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what you were talking about earlier about tension. That's another way to to start off a campaign, especially if you're getting used to the rules. It's real easy as soon as you like we've run a lot of 13th age. I'm pretty certain I could spitball a fight and nail the tension level that I want, even if it's more than the basic math. But starting off, you don't know. You don't know really where to where to stretch. And so coming up with a rule like plot immunity, like, hey, you guys are heroes if you go down in this fight, you won't die is a great way to kind of put some barriers around character death until you're ready to, to remove it. And as you said, man, like you can see all of the players attention is focused. Like they're like, this one is the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. one that counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now in my games, I've found that I can't do that seven C thing. Cause it, it doesn't matter the system. If I have, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Nick, bad boss, giant killer, and 10 mooks, the mooks will live and he'll go down in the first round. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. Mentioned from the people who played in my Pathfinder game, drow commoners, and they shudder. It wasn't supposed to be tough. I almost killed the party. And it was supposed to be just a encounter, get through, oh, there's drought. The commoners that had no skill almost killed the party. 
yeah. just because the die rolls they couldn't hit. I kept rolling high. I'm like, yeah, guys, I. Yet the dice told the story. The God of Worms. Yeah, and the God of Worms. I got there. The dude didn't even get in because the way they wrote it, it took so many rounds for it to manifest, but they could attack it while it was manifesting. He never got an action. They killed it at the very end of the, the whole Age of Worms. Yeah. Dice tell a story sometimes. They do. They do. Stupid dice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so the last thing that 13th Age really has to mitigate player death is the campaign loss rule. You can flee at any point. Players, you can flee at any point. It has never happened in one of my games. I have had games where next time we play on Saturday, I've had games where like first it's round, gotten down fl- to we the, flee. And yeah. I'll just announce that we've had games where it's gone down to two people, and they still don't invoke fleeing. That's fine. Just know that that option is on the table for you. That is a mechanical way to say, "Oh, this one's starting to go well." And in my mind, just from Years of running 13th Age, if two of you mention maybe we should flee, that's usually a good sign that you should flee. It very rarely gets better. It, it, there really shouldn't be a TPK in 13th Age. Because no. even if one player is left standing, they can't even invoke it. Yeah. So Unless it. it's that one player we know at the table, and it's going to be a TPK. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But I think that additionally what you can do with it is if you have a really bad night and you do have a TPK... Maybe you planned your math wrong. Maybe your dice are hot and everyone else is rolling ones. As the GM, you can totally say, hey, guys, all right, why don't we take a campaign loss and we'll pick up either after that or here's the cons- here's the campaign losses you've all been captured. Like, as the mm. GM, you shouldn't be able to invoke campaign loss if things have gone horribly, horribly awry. Give the characters the option. Maybe they didn't die. Maybe they've just been captured by the lizard cult and are going to be sacrificed and now have to fight their way out. Like, Of course, if everyone got smashed by a hammer and it's just bits splattered around, then it'd be an interesting thing to scrape all back up together. Well, well I think- bring in necromancers or bring in a bunch of warforged or like you're no longer in your own body, but your conscience is or. Or, or you all wake up in the, the underworld or exactly. something like that. Yeah. Like now you're pissed. Now you're heroes. Like fight your way out of the underworld and get <laughs> you're back. Chain, you're chained to a wagon. You're chained <laughs> no, to a wagon. No. Yeah, there's no help there. Now, I would say, though, that if the GM is going to invoke that after a, a TPK, I would I would have the, the complication from the campaign loss be like a double strength campaign loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the players should have said something before it got to that point. Mm -hmm. And I'd give them the option. Say, you know, okay, last guy falls. Okay, guys, should have taken a loss. Next session, do you want new characters and we'll start a new campaign? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to take a a campaign loss and we'll say you're all captured and we'll take it from there and something, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you wake up and you're on a slave ship. You've been sold. Break free. And if they go now, nah, we'll just roll new characters and they're okay. Excellent. And yeah. we'll start a new, we'll all start at first level and we'll all go up <laughs> hey, hey. and do the backgrounds. Right. But I think there's also ways to kind of dovetail that in. So, like, mm-hmm. if we all died in your fifth edition game, Becca, I would totally be fine with playing a new first level character who was hired by somebody to go, hey, Find out what happened oh, yeah. to these people. Oh, yeah. One of my players has already said if she dies, she's coming back as her younger sister looking to figure out what happened to her. Yeah, I, think, so. I think there's so many ways to do that, I mean, especially in 13th Age with icon relationships. I think that icon mm-hmm. relationship tokens are another narrative way of dealing with the discontinuity of death. Mm. Yeah, even if you're just an agent. That are right. showing up. You know, mm-hmm. you were supposed to come here to deliver a message and the person that you were supposed to give it to isn't is not is not there anymore. And right. so now you have to pick up the pieces and move on with it. Right. Or, well, all right, Mark's character died, but we got three high druid tokens. We see if the high druid will, you know, reincarnate him as, you know, a tiny squirrel berserker. <laughs> a squirrel zerker. <laughs> In first edition, I actually got reincarnated. I had an elf fighter get reincarnated as a badger. A demon badger? No, just a badger. It was fun. Did you feed it demon blood? No. Did you? No. I don't think the other players really knew what to do <laughs> with my badger. Especially, well, your sixth uh, level fighter badger. Well, no, it, we were low level. So when you had badger, I think, was like a third level critter in first edition. He was tougher than they were. like, well, we don't like the badger. <laughs> it's like, why aren't we all playing animals? That's right. Well, <laughs> 
final thoughts on death? Uh, well, you, you had made a comment earlier that there are worse things than death. And I would stand by that statement. Yeah. And I, I think of uh, Brent in our Rifts game. And he had gotten to the point where he was dismembered. He had lost his mind. And I honestly had no clue how I was going to play him when we stopped playing the game. Yeah. But uh, that was a situation where it's like, I wish he would have just died. Because right. then it would have been a whole lot easier to pick up the pieces, roll a new character, and move on with it. But now I'm stuck with this techno wizard who is has all sorts of technology embedded into a system with missing arms and legs. And it's another one of his characters that lost arms. Yes. <laughs> I had a nice very have a strong hesitation so. before touching that mural yesterday with Maris. Yeah. I was like, but your ah. next character, it doesn't matter the system, just start at first level with one limb missing. That's Just right. start that way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. No, but then when I lose a limb, I'm, I'm really helpless. You, you, maybe you won't. Maybe you break the curse. That's right. That's how you break it. <laughs> and you just lick it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's happened before, too. That's right. <laughs> like you said, like I've had char- players whose characters have survived beyond death in horrible fashion and come back to haunt them on purpose because that's kind of where the story was going. So, yeah, I don't know. I think part of it also comes to where you came in learning role-playing games. Learning on the systems I did, characters, you you went through a number of characters. You just did. Yeah. Poison dagger. Roll, save versus death, or die. Like, what? what? Yeah, yeah, and that goes back to that. You choose the game, and that sets expectations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to start playing DCC, and you start out with four cl- four characters, I mean, you, you can't expect that you're going to be playing all four of those characters months uh, from no. now. There we go. That's our- DCC was great. Yeah, you should choose- Zero before. level funnel is yeah. was fantastic. So that's how you deal with death. You have everybody play through a DCC funnel and say, okay, now we're playing 13th age. Like, yeah. Get all the death done get, and over with. Get, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, I th- any final thoughts? I think that that's. Um, I was just going to say, and my players said this to my face, that there is that respect and trust between players and GMs. And so as long as they can trust that I am not out to get them, mm-hmm. they can put in effort in a story. Right. Um, and so regardless of what system it is, as long as you know that the GM is not there just to punish and hurt you and you can trust them on that. Well, I think that's really like, that goes back toward never punish a player. Yes. Like there is a trust. This is an expectation dial. It's clear that Mark and I have both played with GMs who are like, I am your enemy and it's my job to win and or to prevent you from winning. And that's character death doesn't mean that you're out. You're an adversarial GM. Like or it shouldn't is I guess is the better the better point there. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash iconic podcast or by using our Amazon referral link, which you can find in our show notes or on our website to do your online shopping. Well, you've been listening to the Iconic Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can contact us at iconicpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 720-924-1706. And be sure to check out iconicpodcast.com for news, updates, and new episodes. Thanks for listening.